I was 12 years old and I was in our kitchen and I was on the phone. It was one of those rotary dial telephones. Some of you are like, what's that? Kids, imagine a cell phone about this big (laughs) screwed to the wall with a cord that would wrap around the block and then this big circle with 10 little other circles that would go for every single number you would try to call. That's a little bit what a rotary dial telephone was. I was on the phone with my preacher, and it was an avocado green phone that matched the linoleum that we had in the kitchen at the time. And I was on the phone with my preacher, and I was wanting to be baptized. And I wasn't prepared for the question that he was going to ask me. Why do you want to be baptized? I just thought I called the preacher said, I want to get baptized, and I get baptized. And I wasn't sure what I was supposed to say. And after a couple moments of thinking, I said, well, I know that being a good person is not enough. I need the grace of God. I need the grace of Jesus. And that must have been okay because a couple days later, I was baptized along with my dad and my sister. And it was on a Saturday afternoon at the Seneca Christian Church. And that moment has forever changed my life. Today's topic is Baptism Still Matters, and it goes along with our Core 52 study. If you've been following along, it's chapter 39 in the book. We even still have some books available. And it goes with our core verse today from Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the the, the concluding statement of the sermon. I want to zoom out and catch a running start in chapter 2 of the book of Acts. And if you want to follow along in your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Acts chapter 2. It's also in the Pew Bible on page 884 in front of you, or you can follow along on your electronic device. Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, it's this festival, this party for the Jewish nation. They called it Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. It was a harvest festival. We can know what that looks like because harvest is ongoing right now. So there's people from all around the known world that are there to celebrate this harvest festival. And what happens at that harvest festival in Jerusalem was God fulfills His promise to give the Holy Spirit. And the apostles, they start speaking in different languages. And this was fulfilled. You know, God said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit. And, and the people are like, how can we hear these guys speaking in our native language from our home area? We know these guys are country bumpkins from up in Galilee. They have not studied these languages, but we hear them. What's going on? And so Peter, the spokesman, he gets up and says, hey, these guys aren't drunk like you think. It's too early for that. How's that for a sermon starter? (laughs) He says, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. I don't know if the next slide is wait till later in the day or what. But he's like, no, we're not drunk. This is the promise that God fulfilled. And he quotes the prophet Joel from the Old Testament where Joel says from the Holy Spirit, I will pour out my spirit on all people's. And old men are going to dream dreams, and young men are going to see visions, and, and it's, it's going to be great. And then it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's saying that this is the Holy Spirit that has come today, and the church will never be the same after. 
And then Peter draws his attention from the Holy Spirit of God to talk about Jesus, the Son of God. And it's Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Again, follow along with me. It's on the screen too. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He's saying, you guys have seen Jesus. In fact, Jesus was walking among them just ten days earlier before he ascended as king into heaven. And they would have seen Jesus' miracles. They would have heard how He healed those who were sick and the blind and He raised some of them from the dead. They would have seen some of that. But He also says, but you with the help of wicked men put Jesus to death. But He said it was God's plan. It was God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge to give His one and only Son to come and rescue His people from their sins. It says, but it was God who raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. Isn't that a cool way to say it? It was impossible for death to hold on to Jesus. I can remember growing up, I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to grow up in a Christian home. We went to church regularly, and so I heard some of the stories of Jesus. And I, I got to see some of the flannel graph little pictures and act out some of the Bible stories. And I remember going to vacation Bible school and Sunday school. And so I knew some of those stories of Jesus. Some of you, maybe that's some of your stories. Some of you, maybe this is still pretty early, you're just learning some of this Jesus story. I want to encourage you to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And so he talks about how this Jesus walked among you and God raised him from the dead. And then Peter quotes a Psalm 16 who says, you know, there's this David king who you respect, but King, Dave, king Jesus is even greater than King David. And then he continues to preach a little more. Verse 32 he continues, God raised this Jesus to life and we were all witnesses of it. This is a game changer, folks. We as followers of Jesus, Christians, we believe Jesus rose from the dead. And that separates Christianity from every other world religion. So both can't be true. And so we believe that. So that's a bedrock foundation of our faith. And he's preaching that. I love these texts in Acts, these sermons in the book of Acts, because that's basically what they preach is that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And so he's saying that. And he says, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out on what you now see and hear. He's like, this, this, these languages is from the Holy Spirit. And then he quotes again another psalm, one of our other Core 52 verses from earlier this year, Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then he comes to verse 36 and he starts rounding third base to come home. You believe those Cardinals have won 15 games in a row? It just breaks my heart. But kudos to them. And so Peter's bring, he's rounding third base, coming home, and he wants to draw this sermon to a conclusion. And you always like it when a preacher says, finally, and he really means it. 
And he says this in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And I don't know how Peter said that if he's saying, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, if he's holding his hands out. I don't know if he's pointing his finger But he says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Lord and Christ. Christ means anointed one, king. Lord and king. And so they're hearing, maybe for the first time, recognizing we killed a king. We killed God's special anointed son. And they realize they've done something wrong. Have you been there? Have you been there when mom had had enough? I remember growing up, you kind of just, you horse around and you do what you're not supposed to. And mom just has a long, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a fuse, however long. But once the fuse is gone, you realize reality has come to fruition. And you realize, I am in trouble. So you just start to say, Mom, what do I need to do? You start cleaning your room. You start cleaning the house. You do chores. Whatever you have to do to get Mom happy. Can I get a witness? Has anyone else had that experience? Okay. So you realize you are in trouble. I think that's what the people experienced that day in Jerusalem. We killed the king We are in trouble. And here's what they say in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter, James, John, Thomas, what do we need to do? We are in trouble. What do we need to do? And Peter gives them our core verse for today. Verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You realize you're in trouble. You want to get out of trouble. Peter's solution is repent and be baptized. But before we talk about baptism, we've got to talk about repentance. And that word repentance means to change your mind. It means to change your way of thinking. It's what we call a U-turn. You're going and you're walking away from God and you need to turn around and come back to God. You repent. You change your mind. And that really is an ongoing experience even after we're baptized. We always need to be in this state of repenting, changing our mind, realizing I've done something wrong and I need to come back to God. It was actually the theme of one of Jesus' preaching. Again, one of our other core 52 verses from Mark 1.15. The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent, change your mind, and trust me. I've got some good news. So I want to encourage us to think about repentance today. Is there some things that we need to change our way of thinking on? Is there some things in this book that needs to guide our thinking better? What is it that we need to change? So if you want to get right with God, there involves repentance. And then he talks about being baptized. 
The word baptize means to dunk under water. That's what the word means. It's used outside of the Bible to, to dip clothing where you would dye the cloth into a different dye and dye in a cloth. It's also used for when a ship would sink in the sea. The ship was baptized. So the word means to underwater, immerse underwater. I've got a picture of a baptism recently. We baptized Carol Garrett uh, this spring. And so there's kind of a picture. We lower someone into the water. Trust me, every time I've witnessed a baptism, they always come back up out of the water. It's always good news, okay? I had one guy said, you better bring me up quick or I'm going to come up swinging at you. He told me that. I said, I will bring you up, sir. And I did, okay? And so this is a picture of we're, we're lowering someone in the water, we're bringing them back up out of the water. Why do we do that? One, the word means that. That's what baptize means, immerse. Also, there's a picture from Romans chapter 6 where it says, if we unite ourselves with Jesus is in his death, we will also unite ourselves with him in his resurrection. So we're uniting with Jesus in his burial. And then we have this beautiful picture of coming back out of the grave. Like Jesus came out of the grave three days later, we come up out of the water to walk in a new life. That's Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. And so I want to encourage you to think about baptism Some of you are saying, okay, but I was sprinkled when I was a baby preacher, so what are you saying? I want to say that Jesus loves you and that we say that we're not the only Christians. We just want to be Christians only. And there's a quote that I think is somewhat helpful from Alexander Campbell back in 1837, 13 years after Berlin Christian got started. Isn't he a good-looking guy? It's kind of scary, to be honest, okay? And so think about how Martin Luther is to the Lutherans. Alexander Campbell is kind of like who that is to the Christian church, although he wouldn't want to be like considered a founder or denominational guy. But he's a respected guy in our history. Here's what he had to say. He was conversing with a gal from Lunenburg, Virginia. And she says, okay, I hear you talking about baptism by immersion. What about all of us who are sprinkled? Here's what he has to say. There is no occasion then for making immersion on a profession of faith absolutely essential to a Christian, though it may be greatly essential to a sanctification and comfort. My right hand and my right eye are greatly essential to my usefulness, but not to my life. And as I could not be a perfect man without them, so I cannot be a perfect Christian without a right understanding and cordial reception of immersion and its true and scriptural meaning and design." But he that thence infers that none are Christians but the immersed, as greatly errs as he who affirms that none are alive but those of clear and full vision. So he's saying, uh, you know, it's not a deal breaker. It it's, could be helpful for you, but that's between you and God. And so I just want to encourage you. You pray, read the scripture, and do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. And I'll let you decide what that is best for you. But we take a humble, confident stand saying this is what we believe, baptism by immersion. But we also realize that there are Christians who love Jesus who have just been sprinkled as babies, and we respect that, okay? So that's where we are. I want to also hear, hear some encouragement from some of our other uh, kids that were baptized this summer, some of our Nationwide Youth Roundup students. And so for those of you who participated in NYR, or maybe you uh, had people work over, come work and do stuff at your, your house, or bought pancakes, or you gave a gift to that NYR trip, these pictures I'm sharing with you, some of these stories, you have an investment in that. That's part of your, we can celebrate together. Here's what Carson had to say. We just said, hey, you've been baptized. If somebody's kind of wrestling with being baptized, 
what would you say to him? Here's what he says, Karsten, age nine. You are making the right decision to follow Jesus. When you follow him, you do what he says. When I got baptized, I felt like a new me. I'm different because my sins are taken away. And before, I was like a five. Now I'm leveled up to a ten and make better choices. Karsten, thank you. The Bible has, I'm leveled up. I think that needs to be a new understanding of, of, of what it means to follow Jesus. The Bible has a word for that. It's called justified. We are made right in God's eyes. We are declared not guilty. I like leveled up. Kenna, age 19, she says it this way. I would tell them that if it's been on your heart for a while, then you should do it. Also, in doing so, would lead you to a road that you wouldn't know is possible. The decision has changed me because now I'm seeing the world differently. Seeing the world and people differently. She's seeing the world different. I think that talks about repentance, doesn't it? You're changing your mind. You're starting to see people in the way that Jesus has made them. Here's what Avery said, age 14. Just do it. You might be a preacher someday. Just do it because knowing he's always there for you is in good and bad is a good feeling. And after getting baptized, you definitely maybe not the right word cleansed. I would say, yeah, it is the right word cleansed. But there's definitely a feeling you made the right choice of making and believing that he is our one and only Lord. And yes, just do it. Going through difficulties and rough parts in the road makes, it, makes life a lot easier knowing he's there literally and for us. Here's what Hope says, age nine. She just turned nine this week. Ah. She says you should be baptized. Uh, it will be your next steps to an amazing life. It is making me happy every day. God and Jesus team up to pull you up from the hard things. These kids are great leaders for us, and we can embrace them and them. So I just want to encourage you. You study the scriptures. We've got baptism material for all age groups. From, from jam, we call it our jam booklet for our, for our young people. We've got some teen material. We've got adult studies, and we can just walk through that with you if you have questions of what it means to be immersed and to follow Jesus. God likes to rescue his people through the waters. Even from the opening page of Scripture, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. And in Eden, there were these four waters, these four rivers that shoot out. God likes to work His people through the waters. You go to chapter 6 in Genesis, and there's this guy named Noah and his family, eight in all. And they get into this wooden boat, this ark, and they are saved from the waters, the floods of the earth. You go to Exodus, and there's this baby in a basket floating on the Nile River, and the princess of Egypt pulls up this baby and names him Waterboy. You might know him as Moses, drawn up from the water. And then later in Moses' life, he leads the people of Israel. They come to the Red Sea. He puts out his staff. The Red Sea parts. The God's people walk through on dry ground. And in your reading this week in Core 52, he's going to talk about how those people were baptized in the Red Sea as they walked through into salvation, never to see the Egyptians again. Another generation later, Joshua leads another, the same group of people, their, their descendants, to the Jordan River. It's at flood stage. The, the priests step into the water. God piles up the water miles away, and they walk through on dry ground into the promised land. God likes to rescue his people through the waters. And that same river, the Jordan River, 
that we read about earlier. Jesus comes to that Jordan River, maybe even that same area, we're not sure. It's the same river. To his cousin John, he says, I need to be baptized by you. And John's like, I don't think so. I think you probably better be doing the baptizing to me. And Jesus says, no, John, you permit it right now. This is the right thing to do. And Jesus is baptized, not because he sinned, not because there was anything wrong in his life. He, sent, he was baptized probably to start his ministry, probably to set in us an example, but I think even more so to identify with us in the baptism waters, that the sinless Christ identifies with sinners in the waters of baptism. James S. Stewart would say it somewhat similarly. And so God likes to rescue his people in the waters. And so what are the benefits of baptism? Well, if you read your scripture here, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. It's Jesus' name that rescues us. In the name of Jesus is what gives that water the power. It's the name of Jesus. And so in the name of Jesus, we receive, it says, forgiveness of sins. So in baptism, we receive forgiveness of sins. The word forgiveness means to send away. Karsten said it this way, my sins are taken away. And so could we use our sins to be taken away? Yeah, in baptism, those sins are gone. Not because of the waters, but because of who's in the water, Jesus, the, the one who rescues us. He's, it's in his saving name. So baptism gives us forgiveness of sins. In baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit. He says, you will receive forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of my mentors, he was ready to get baptized. He was about age eight or nine. And he went up to his dad who was a preacher and said, I want to get baptized. And he says, we haven't even talked about the Holy Spirit yet. That preacher dad understood that you need the Holy Spirit and we need to get an understanding of the Holy Spirit as part of your baptism process. So it's the idea that we receive the Holy Spirit. And what I love about the Holy Spirit is the same Spirit that brought Jesus up out of the grave lives inside of us. And you read through the Scriptures and it seems to connect receiving the Holy Spirit with baptism. So we receive the Holy Spirit. Third, we receive a family. In baptism, we receive a family. One of my goals, I wanted to zero in on Acts 2.38, but I wanted to kind of pan out to the context today. Do you see what I did for you today? I didn't want to just pull one verse. I wanted to give you the chapter. And so if you follow up with what happens after Acts 2.38, you go to verse 39, the, he, Peter says, This promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So in baptism, we receive a family. And so some people say, well, I want Jesus, but I don't know if I want that church. Well, you kind of get the bride along with the groom. And so as Christians, when we are baptized, we are part of the body of Christ, this kingdom of God, a people. And so we are not alone. And so in baptism, we receive a family. It says 
that they were added to their number. 3,000 that day. That must have been a pretty exciting day at church. But they were added to their number. I think that's just a way to describe the church, God's people, the kingdom. And so here's the bottom line for today. Based on verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized. This is what I came to say today. Baptism identifies those who accept Jesus. Baptism identifies those who accept Jesus. It says those who accepted the message were baptized. My elder friend today said they were immersed in the word. So baptism identifies those who accept Jesus. I didn't know a lot that day when I was 12. I just knew I wanted Jesus. And I knew that that next step involved baptism. And I've learned since then a lot more that I've got a long ways to go. I'm not perfect, but through Jesus, I can be viewed as clean and pure because of what he has done for me. And we are in this road of being made holy, clean. And so I just want to invite you. There's kind of a couple groups I want to talk to. If you've been baptized, and I just want you to think back to those moments. What got you to the waters of baptism? Who were the people or the person that discipled you who brought you to Jesus? And if you've lost some of your passion for Jesus, can you go back to those moments where it all started? Where you got excited to be a follower of Jesus? And maybe through some of those moments, you can rekindle your passion for him. If you're able to, maybe you could even talk with that person that baptized you or to, that brought you into a saving relationship, that person who discipled you. Maybe they're still around and you could just talk with them and get some encouragement. Maybe that's something that would be helpful for you. If you've never been baptized, I just want you to pray about it and talk to me or we've got a couple other people down front after service today and study the scriptures and the Acts and just see where do you find baptism and what did people do and you and the Holy Spirit get a, can- get a plan together and let us know how we can encourage you along your journey. Thank you for uh, your partnership in the gospel. I'm looking forward to how God's going to move in this church family as we uh, look at these core values of how baptism still matters. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we celebrate what you do. I thank you for the young people who gave their words of encouragement today, and I pray that maybe something they shared or something that your word has shared today would just spur people in our walk with you. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit and the gift of your body, the church. And I pray that you would guide us in your good way. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus who conquered the grave and will come back again someday. Amen.